Good morning. Glad to be with you guys again. My wife uh, and daughter could not make it today. They send their regrets. Uh, they don't re- regret it probably as much as I do because I look far better in public when they're here. As you know, my name is James Daniels. I'm planning a church outside of Birmingham in Chelsea, Alabama, that your church has been a part of supporting. Thank you for that. I always enjoy coming. Uh, the music here is excellent. The sanctuary is lovely, and your congregation is very, very gracious and warm. Uh, thank you for that. Today we're going to be reading, if you want to turn to Luke 14, Luke 14. We're going to be talking about the idea today of serving without expectation. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 together, although we will be referencing the entire chapter uh, throughout the sermon today. If you please stand, Luke 14, verses 1 through 11. One Sabbath, when he, being Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent, and they took, he took him, and he healed him, and he sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you, having a son or an ox that had fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Verse 7. Now when he told the parable to those that were invited, when he noticed how they chose their places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you give us words of life, and those words are living. And we pray today that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and show us what you would have us to see from your word today. Send your Holy Spirit and guide us in all truth and wisdom. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. As I said before, I am from uh, Chelsea, Alabama. One of the things that I do as a church planner is try to go out into the community, develop a community presence. I go from shop to shop in the afternoons occasionally, visit. I love seeing people uh, at their places of uh, where they work, their posts. Uh, their places of service. And one of the places that I visit often is a little shop. And this shop sa- sells sandwiches, coffee, a lot of uh, smoothies uh, people are starting to do nowadays. And in this shop, every day I'd come in, I would notice this little beat-up table right outside the shop. 
And so he had several tables that looked similar to that inside, but this one was pretty worn, I guess because he had set it outside for people to set out uh, while they were enjoying outdoors. And so the cafe table had a nice design to it, but it was weathered, it was warped, uh, and the paint was flaked off of it. The owner of the shop was a little bewildered when I came up to him and I said, will you let me take that table home with me? Uh, he kind of looked at me funny. I said, no, no, I want to I work on it and bring it back. So he still kind of scratched his head and he said, I guess so. And so I left that shop that day with one of the shabbiest looking little tables in all of Chelsea, Alabama, in my back of my wife's SUV. And so I don't know why, but I love these kind of projects. My, much to my wife's chagrin, I'm always bringing uh, things that are battered and broken. I find things sitting outside of shops and outside of behind buildings. Uh, I've learned to ask before you take things. That's always a good sign. And yes, I have been known to dumpster dive uh, occasionally. My wife said I should get a little sign that says Sanford and Son uh, on the side of my truck. If you're uh, younger than I am, you probably don't know that reference. I think they still show reruns on uh, TV, so uh, she calls me Fred Sanford. Uh, but I'll, also, you know, although I'm an amateur, I love doing that stuff. I love taking broken and wooden uh, worn objects and see if they can either be restored or repurposed. So I bring the table home, and I put it in my garage, and I kind of look at it for a moment. And it was pretty rough. I worked hours in the evenings over those next couple of weeks, hand planing it and sanding it down, and I stripped through layer after layer of paint. And as I did, I began to see this beautiful black walnut kind of up here that somebody had painted over years ago. It was amazing. And when I got through working through that, sanding it down, smoothing it out, it was one of the most beautiful tables that I'd seen in a long time, just because of the sheer beauty of the wood underneath. And so I look back, and, and the, the difference between what I was about to bring back to that shop and what I had picked up at that, that uh, outside the shop was astounding. And so I put it in uh, my truck, and I'm heading in, and in my mind I'm thinking, man, here I'm going to walk into this shop, and they're going to see this beautiful table that I've worked on. They're going to be amazed by this. And the shop, I can imagine my head, I know you all never do this, but in my head I was thinking, man, he's going to be so grateful to me. Like people in the shop will probably be staring and ask how I did it. Uh, they'll just be full of admiration. Now, I know y'all are probably more spiritual than I am. I have these little delusions of grandeur about how much people appreciate me and what I do. And so I'd give it to the shop owner. In my mind, it's a big production. He would thank me. He, wouldn't, he couldn't believe that I'd put that many hours into doing something for him, how thoughtful I was, and just admire my servant's heart. So I walk in, and much to my dismay, he looks at the table, and he kind of barely acknowledges my presence. He said, oh, you can set it in the corner. That's it. Now, so maybe this has happened to you guys uh, in this sanctuary before. Maybe you went out of your way to help someone. Uh, you put a lot of thought into a gift. Uh, as a parent, I see this at Christmas a lot. Uh, maybe you even uh, have lent money to folks only to have them not appreciate, or if they do, just give very little thought to the gratitude and, and how much you, you put into that. Now, it's cordial and it's human and it's civil to respond with at least a thank you. And you know how it feels when someone doesn't do that. We feel like we've been treated unjustly. 
and we feel like that we're not appreciated. Today's passage uh, deals with this issue to a degree. For weeks, Randy's been talking, uh, Pastor Randy has been talking about preaching, uh, and he's been preaching through a series of food and fellowship. I love what y'all are doing by getting together. Thank y'all for, for that, um, getting together. As Jesus became two different, as he came to different people's houses to dine and have meals, uh, folks would come from diverse walks of life, and we've been examining Jesus' actions through sharing a meal to learn more about what Jesus did so that we can serve better, uh, so that we can exhibit hospitality, and then ultimately uh, to know more about the heart of the Father. And so today we're going to talk about the idea of serving without expectation. Serving without expectation. This is a concept that if you do not understand and grapple with in some deep way, you are going to be frustrated at some point in your life as you begin more and more showing hospitality and serving the people around you. If you haven't already felt this frustration, you will feel this frustration at some point. And the more you give, the more the opportunity for this to to occur. So let's look at verse 1 for a moment. This is the section where Jesus describes the healing uh, of, of the man on the Sabbath. So it says, one Sabbath he went to dine in the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, and they were watching him carefully. Does this sound familiar? Almost every story that we've been talking about in the series begins with he's at a Pharisee's house, not because they love him that much, but because he's becoming so popular they can't ignore him anymore, and they're out to test him and watch his every move to try to trap him. And there was a man uh, before him who had dropsy. Dropsy is something like edema, from what I understand, the swelling uh, uh, that happens uh, sometimes in the extremities and in the body. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees and saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And he took him and he healed him and he sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you, having a son or an ox that's fallen in a well on the Sabbath day, would not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. The first point that I want to make today is service is an act of worship. Service in of itself is an act of worship. Let's think about what's happening in the scene. Jesus is invited to dine with the Pharisees, this time a ruler of the Pharisees. All eyes are on him. And the question that he asks when the sick man comes in seems like a no-brainer to us. Where we are in this day and age. Uh, Now, we know, and I guarantee you, Randy has been talking some about the idea of the Sabbath and the Pharisees and and their whole hang-up about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. They had tons of these specific petty laws sometimes about not working on the Sabbath. For example, on the Sabbath, you had to make sure that the spoon that you carried or held to eat from did not weigh more than a fig, right? Or you were doing work on the Sabbath, uh, they have another debate over whether or not ladies that have hair clips that weigh more than a fig, uh, whether or not she's actually wearing it or carrying it. Because if she's wearing it, it's okay, but she's carrying it, she's doing work. So these are the types of things that you would see them quibbling over. And so this is why it's such a big issue when he says, okay, is it even okay to heal on the Sabbath? Is that work? Now, Jesus always has the uncanny ability to step in and cut through the red tape. And ultimately what he's telling them is they have missed the point of the Sabbath in the first place. Instead of 
following rules and doing their religious duty, what they should be and what he kept trying to bring them back to is setting aside a day for rest and reflection of who God is and what he has done. Now, the second part of his actions can be easily missed, but I think it's just as important. Several years back, uh, I was in the hospital, and I had a uh, large mass in my abdomen that they, uh, at the point, thought was cancer. And so the the surgery was very invasive. Uh, I was going to have months of recovery, uh, and the incision they made was very long. And so two days I'm out of that, and I'm still just writhing in pain. There had been a week I was going to be in pain after that. And so I'm laying in the hospital bed in misery, and all I've got my morphine uh, little drip that you hit. I can hit every 15 minutes. I just had it ready. I was just watching the clock, tick, 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 hit it again. And so I have a friend that comes and visits me. And when he comes in, I'm glad to see him. Uh, I'm laying here in misery. And he begins to read and does read what I think is one of the, one of the most long psalms in the book of Psalms, right? Not Psalm 19, that's real long, but it was one of the longest ones. So he's reading this psalm, and it's just long, and I'm, I'm laying there in pain. Now, I appreciated him. I was thankful for him, but he didn't realize it. Maybe he did, he didn't care. He was adding to my misery at that point. Kind of like Job's friends in the Bible, right? When they're coming, giving all this advice when the poor guy's in the the junk, you know, the trash yard scratching his sores and they're preaching to him like that's what he needs right there. And so one of the things that, that we begin to realize that, that that acts of service, serving one another in of itself has spiritual merit. We don't have to add a Bible verse to it. We don't have to hyper-spiritualize it. Acts of service are sacred acts and they are acts of worship. Uh, as, as Jesus was pointing out there. So let's look at uh, verses 7 through 11. Jesus tells a parable here about a wedding feast. He says, Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose their places of honor, saying to them, When you're invited by someone at the wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you comes by him who, was, uh, who, who invited uh, you be invited by him. So y'all, y'all remember this, right? Y'all, y'all have seen this before. Everything was a ritual in the Pharisees' house and at, at these feasts. They were all jockeying for position because lined up around the table, depending on where you were sitting, would indicate how important you were, right? And so he's saying, when you come in, don't assume, right, the greatest places of honor. And let's see what he says will happen. Verse 9, and he invited him will both... Uh, you both will come and say, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Can you imagine how embarrassing that would be? I'm sorry, you're not quite as important as you think you are. Can you go sit there? I've got a friend that's more important than you. Uh, and so, but when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So when your host comes, he will say, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so the second principle I want to point out from this passage today is service requires humility. Service requires humility. In my home church growing up, every fourth Sunday, we had uh, something we called a fellowship meal. Um, a lot of churches have similar things in this, but 
every fourth Sunday, no matter rain or shine, we were going to have a fellowship meal. I don't care if it's Christmas Eve, we were going to do it. And so it, it just becomes such a big part of that. And so at the time I was a young man, uh, the Sunday school teacher one day came in and, he, and she was talking about the uh, passage in uh, Matthew 20:16 that talks about first and she'll be last, right? And the last she'll be first, you know that passage. And uh, she did the meanest thing in my mind at the time she could have done. And she used the illustration. Now, after church today, how many of you are going to run and try to be the first one in line? Now, I've always been about this size as a, as a guy, so you know I'm usually not lacking for food, and I'm always thinking about food in some way, and I was the first one almost every Sunday to that. And, and she may have not have been talking directly at me. She probably was, uh, but it felt like she was. And so when she said that, it really resonated with me. Uh, and I always thought, was it because I felt guilty about it, or is it because she said the first will be last, and I really wanted to be first, so I tried to be last? I don't know which one it was. Uh, but when I, uh, from that point on, my conscience bothered me, and I tended to let folks go ahead of the line before me. To this day, I hear her, uh, my Sunday school teacher, saying that line in my head when we're thinking about getting a line. Uh, so I always show up kind of toward the back. And so I always felt better about myself when I did that, but it did not keep me from uh, not being able to get one of the best pieces of fried chicken. I always got the leftovers. And, who eats chicken back anyway, right? Um, but one of the things uh, that, 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 that Jesus is pointing out here is not just the, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, uh, but this idea of deferring to other people. Now, we all understand the importance of this, and it's been ingrained in our heads since we were young of thinking of others first. Uh, maybe in Sunday school, like, like I had, you learned not to be a me-first Matt or me first, Mary, all those little clever say, th sayings that they have. But interesting enough, there's a practical benefit that Jesus is saying here. Uh, and he points out something more than just thinking of others and serving others. He said, actually, practically, you'll be saving yourself some embarrassment. Uh, that is, thinking of yourself too highly and being put back in your place, as it says in the passage. Jesus says, let others honor you. Right? It's not only the right thing to do, but it may save you some embarrassment. See, the interesting thing about humility is you can't fake it. You can't fake it. Uh, it's like someone saying, I am so humble. Right? It doesn't work that way. Right? Um, it, it requires constantly developing right, a habit of self-forgetfulness. And in this day and age, it's one of the hardest things for me when we uh, can have just about anything at our fingertips uh, and, and, and we're so entitled uh, nowadays and even to teach with my daughter the idea of, of humble service, humility starts with not being so quick to assert your rights, right? It begins by taking consideration others and their feelings before you worry about yours. It involves not taking yourself too seriously or not thinking of yourself too much. And it's not only practiced through acts of, of, of service, but the, the thing about it is, and the Bible talks about this idea of faith and works and the relationship between virtue and, and the things you do and how it shapes you and the Holy Spirit moves this. And the neat thing about it is, as time goes on and you begin to more and more think about others first and engage in these acts through the power of the Holy Spirit and in turn cultivates and builds capacity for humility in your soul, right? Serving requires humiliation. It requires humility. 
So let's look at another one of these short uh, parables. These are just back-to-back stories that Jesus is telling uh, to the same group, just proving his point over and over again and trying to show them where their thinking is uh, um, faulty. And so he says here uh, in verse 12, he says also to the man that had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet or feast, do not invite your friends and your brothers and your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, it's kind of like, what if you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now Jesus points out the fact that we all know it's easier to serve people that you know are going to respond in some way in the same amount of favor. Whether it's someone that's very gracious and they're always just raving and gushing about how thankful they are for that. Or if it's kind of a trade-off. I I, I go to lunches a lot and I love... uh, the idea of going to lunch with people that I know if I get it this time, they're going to get mine next time, right? Uh, it's, it's especially easy to go to lunch with people that are, by, that are always taking care of you at lunch. Thank you for that, Randy. But, um, but the hardest thing, and I've got a few friends like this, are the ones, in, and they'll invite you to lunch. They don't offer to buy, and they kind of stare at the check until you, it gets awkward, and you pick it up, and like, oh, thank you. Uh, the, the ones that never buy lunch, those are the hardest ones to buy lunch for. Right, And so when you begin to think about this, right, and this is the last point that I want to make today. The first point was service uh, is an act of worship. The second is it requires humility. The, the last one is this, and this is one of the hardest ones. Service can be a very thankless job, a very thankless job. When service in general can be one without gratitude. Now, as you were mentioning earlier with the, the feast groups, right? Uh, the idea that uh, there's people that are going to be hosting, and, and some people, when they think about hosting, like, oh man, it's going to be so much. We've got to clean up the house. We've got to do this. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll spend all afternoon. You know, we'll spend hours just for someone to come in, eat for 45 minutes, and maybe even leave, right? Y'all have all seen that. How much time, like the Thanksgiving feast, that goes in for days, and then uh, all the kids come in and they eat uh, in a matter of 30 minutes and they're off. And it's gone. It's over, right? When you look at uh, an example like that, hosting someone for a meal, if you look at it from an economic standpoint, right, it rarely makes sense, right? It requires time and money and effort and other resources with no economic return. Like inviting folks for over a meal, folks rarely fully understand or appreciate how much work goes into it. And so... When I was growing up, my parents taught me an important lesson. And as I I get older, I didn't realize how freeing this could be if I really understood it. My parents have always been very generous folks. They're not rich folks, but they're very generous folks. And as far as I can tell, they have never expected anything in return. Even when folks would borrow money from them or items from them, they kind of assumed that they were giving it away at this point. And I realized over time time what they did is if they just acknowledge like that's gone, it's just going to be a gift. I'm not letting them borrow it. They're just going to have it. If they bring it back, it's kind of like what we call in the South gravy. It's not expected, but it's a little extra added on on top. And that's really how they felt about it, right? And so I did not realize over time 
that if I begin to not worry about the admiration, not worry about what I'm getting in return, it was freeing, right? Not worry about uh, this guy who never returned my, my leaf blower, and now he's borrowing my weed eater, and every time he brought back anything else, he, he tore it up or it was dirtier, it looked like he had been in the sewers with it, right? As I begin to say, you know what? Yes, you can borrow it. And I gave it as a gift. Now, there's accountability in these situations, and I understand that. But I'm talking about in general, what's your default mode? Are you quick to think about what you get out of it? Are you quick to, get, uh, to, to, to resent people that don't return things or don't say thank you or don't do things in the way that you want them to? Right? If we really understand this and grapple with that, it can be a freeing thing. So back, back to this, the, the table of the story at the beginning. Right? My wife, who I call all the time the main instrument of my sanctification, right? God uses her more in my sanctification than anybody in my, in my life. I feel like that's how it should be. Um, I think I'm the main instrument of working patience in her life. Uh, I think that's how it works the other way. But she told me an interesting thing when I came back. I was all out of whack about the table thing. I just got to be honest. I was just mad. That, 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 that he just ignored me. He just took the table and assumed, hey, all right, it's no big deal. Thanks for doing it. And moved on. It, it made me mad. I came back, and I'm just talking about how big of a jerk this guy is. Right? I, I admit, I was in the flesh at that point. I had to repent for this later. I'm repenting publicly for it now. And so after I brought it back, my wife uh, listened to me complain for a while, uh, and, and she asked, what did you do it for in the first place? Right? And I was like, What? And she said, is this about serving that shop owner? Or did you do this for you? I was like, wow. <laughs> right? It really made me question my motive. And she was right. I wasn't upset because God gave me this great opportunity to serve. Right? And, and, and this guy just wasn't holy enough to acknowledge that. Right? I was upset because it was about me. Right? It was not anything to do with what we talked about today of, of serving with humility. I was thinking about myself. And ultimately, I just wanted to show off a little. Right? I mean, my skills are not that much, but that's really what I wanted to do. And she exposed that for a few questions. And this is what Jesus did again and again. Now, let's look at this last section in, in chapter 14. It starts with, uh, and this is the last little parable that Jesus tells. When one of those who reclined at the table. And so he's one of the guys sitting back, and you know how they, they do. They're sitting back, they're enjoying the meal. Heard these things. He said to them, this is a fascinating thing he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread uh, in the kingdom of God. Now what's he trying to do? The things that Jesus said were making him feel guilty, were making him feel awkward. And he says this, kind of like, well, it's all going to be fine, and I'm going to say something uh, God-like, and then we can get past this awkwardness. Now, if you know anything about Jesus, he ain't going to let that fly, right? Uh, but he said, he's going to tell him another story. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to those that had been invited and said, come now, everything's ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out to see it. The second uh, said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I will go examine them. Please excuse me. Another one said, I've married a wife. 
I don't know what he means by that. I'll, I'll, start, I'll start. I'll keep going from there. I've married a wife. Please excuse me. And so the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry. And he said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, I have done what you commanded, and there's still room. And he said, Then go out to the highways and beyond in the hedges and compel all the people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of the men that were invited in the, in the beginning shall taste my banquet. In the conclusion of this section, we see God embodies the perfect model of serving. He invites as many and has a heart of hospitality, but he does not stop there. Even those when those he invites make excuses, right? He continues to pursue and go out to find people to bring into his household. Psalm 34, 8. David calls us to taste and see that the Lord is good. God is calling us all to a feast, to taste his hospitality and join him in extending that service and hospitality to others. Are you making excuses? Are you too busy? To wrap things up, serving is thankless. It requires humility and ultimately is a giving up and a giving over to God in an act of worship. First John says, if you love me, God says, you'll love others. James says, true religion is this. You can talk about religion all day. Here's, you want to you know the litmus test of, of true religion? What are you doing with the widows and the orphans and those in the need in your community? Like, you can tell me all day about how much faith you have. You can say something godlike, like this guy said at the feast. What do your works show? Right? What are you doing in your community? Who's in need around you that you're ministering to? Or do you just really not love people? God said, then you don't love me because this is my heart, right? And this is what I'm about. When you begin to understand the heart of the Father for hospitality and grapple with the ultimate hospitable act that God made, what was the ultimate act of hospitality by God? Sending his son, sacrificing his very son for us, his people, when we were thankless, when we were filthy in sin, when we didn't care for him, when we wanted nothing of him, he continued an ultimate act to move to be in service to us. When you serve without expectation, when you serve without expectation, you're not going to outserve God. And when we get to this point where we begin to taste kingdom hospitality and we begin to extend it to others without expectation, right? we will find a newfound freedom in our lives and we're going to find that the people around us, our friends, our neighbors, and communities like this are going to be transformed as they share the same experience. Father God, thank you for your words. Thank you for this group here. Thank you for the heart of Central as they are being moved to hospitality. I thank you for the hospitality they have given me and my wife. Bless them. Lord, help us to be people that serve others. Help us to be self-forgetful. And Lord, ultimately help us not to forget the gift that you gave and the ultimate sacrifice that you did of hospitality to us. And that's in your son. And it's his name I pray. Amen.